It's easier to record a podcast than it is to get married by 40. This is Sleepless in Seattle on In the Can. You just tuned in. We're talking to Sleepless in Seattle. You called a radio station? Christmas Eve. He phones in one of those radio call-in shows. He tells them that his dad needs a new wife. And the shrinkette practically forces a guy onto the phone and says, Tell me, what was so special about your wife? Well, Dr. Marshall feels down, I think. It was like... Sleepless in Seattle? That's what you called him on the show because he can't sleep. And now 2,000 women want his number. Dear Sleepless in Seattle, you're the most attractive man I ever laid ears on. The guy could be a crackhead. Actually, he sounded nice. You know it's easier to be killed by a terrorist than it is to get married over the age of 40. That's not true. That statistic is not true. That's right. It's not true. But it feels true. Sandy has a girlfriend, Glenda. She's a weightlifter. It's not like her neck is bigger than her head. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to set me up. What about Walter? Walter and I are engaged. Today I consider myself the luckiest man, 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 on the face of the earth. The Lou Gehrig life. Lou Gehrig life. When's the last time you were out there? Jimmy Carter, 1978. Things are a little different now. I am having all of these fantasies about some man I have never even met who lives in Seattle. It rains nine months of the year in Seattle. I know! Tiramisu. What is tiramisu? You'll see. Some woman is going to want me to do it to her, and I'm not going to know what it is. You'll love it. What if I never meet him? What if this man is my destiny and I never meet him? Your destiny can be your doom. I want to meet you. Dad, read this, read this. Where is Seattle? Right. Where is Baltimore? What I really don't want to do is end up always wondering what might have happened and knowing I could have done something. This is crazy. That's what I'm trying to tell you. What women are looking for. Packs in a cute bun. This is the one I like. There is no way that we are going on a plane to meet someone who could be a crazy, sick lunatic. Didn't you see Fatal Attraction? even turn on the news nowadays without hearing about how some babe thought some guy's butt was cute. So how's my butt? Not bad. Really? Yeah. Is it cute though? You're grading on a curve? All right. It's another episode of In the Can on the Barn Burner at the hyphen Barn Burner, which is a great website if i do say so myself uh you can follow our feed too on apple or spotify wherever you get your podcast we have a new feed for the movie pod and uh i'm excited to welcome for the first time her her debut on this podcast the annie to my sam uh my beautiful fiance and soon-to-be wife ivy lauren williams ivy i feel like there's 26 states between us right now uh you're in our living room and i am in my office um but we're uh, we're on we're podcasting right now bro how you feel um, I'm nervous, which I told you already about because I'm, all your followers are going to be like, who's this country ass chick on your, on your podcast. So, um, but I'm ready. I'm ready to go talk about my favorite movie of all time. It, it is your favorite movie of all time. And, and it, it's a great movie. So Hank stars as Sam, a widowed Seattle based father who bears his soul on national talk radio after his son, Jonah played by Ross Malinger calls in and Meg Ryan's Baltimore journalist. Here's the show comes to believe that Sam is the true love that she hasn't met, and we're off to the races. Uh, when did you first come to this movie? Um, and it became your favorite movie. When the first time you saw it, was this like uh, just uh, on constant rotation for Adolescent Ivy? No, not Adolescent. It was more um, college, college-age Ivy after a, like a heartbreak or two, probably. Mm. Um, I, I watched it, I think I like ripped it illegally. Don't tell anybody, but mm. um, watched it. Um, and then I went and bought the DVD afterwards. So don't you worry. I mm. supported the cause. That's but, good. Um, I, I don't know. I've always been told that I look like Meg Ryan. You disagree. I, uh, whatever. But I get that a lot. Um, a lot of my patients um, would tell me that frequently. Um, and I don't know. I guess I just looked like her when she was in those movies, like When Harry Met Sally and this one. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll check this out. And obviously wept multiple times to seeing this multiple times and um was really excited to find a movie that like spoke to my soul i guess um mm. and it was just you know I'm, I'm a chick so i love chick flicks it's all that matters um and i i don't know i just really got into the story and that's what became my favorite favorite movie 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it it was obviously really popular in 93 when it came out. And Nora Ephron is the writer and director. And this is the movie shit that I care about that you know nothing about. But is the reason I think that you might like it. I mean, she did when Harry met Sally, she did a lot of these chick flicks in the late eighties, nineties, and they were a little different than chick flicks that had been coming out there funnier They're You know, they have a little bit loftier of a goal and with themes and stuff. It's not just about like the relationship. I feel like they're just trying to say stuff more about what love is and the destiny of finding your soulmate and all that. Um, what are your general thoughts on this movie though? Besides like you, it's your favorite. I mean, are you, is this one you just want to fire up anytime? Is this, is this a movie you tell people about and you're, and if someone says they haven't seen it, are you like, yo, you got to go check this out or how do you feel about it? Um, yeah, it's one of those movies that I can just turn on whenever. So I, I can be sad and want to watch this movie or I can be happy and want to watch this movie. It's, um, it's something that speaks to me no matter what my mood, which I think is very important in a movie. Um, I obviously like how they like the characters really never see each other till the end. That's, I mean, they do see each other, but they don't speak. They don't interact. It's just more of a like, oh, this intrigues me about this person. And hmm, I think I'm, it may be worth it for me to take all these crazy, ridiculous lengths to get to, um, to go meet this person. And obviously Meg Ryan's character is kind of a psycho, but you know, like, People on Facebook creeping on these people that they've never met are also kind of psycho and creepy. So mm. it's like hmm, modern day um, Facebook stalking, if you will. Um, so I think I was very into that at the time when I found this movie too. Like Facebook stalking? Yeah, you know, all college girls Facebook stalk once in a while, especially sorority girls. Yeah. Sorority girls are real creepy about Facebook stalking people that they do not know or they've heard a name about and then they go on this like little tangent and then find out that their mother's name is Jean or whatever. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's something that, um, in college I was like, huh, I relate to this finding someone on a computer, but I don't think I would ever. Like, Did you hire a private investigator to take pictures of them while they were on dates? Once, but we oh, that's good. About that. Yeah. Hope, well, not me. So that's what I care about. I don't want to illicit photos of me floating around out there. Um, you know, I already put too much of my, uh, put too much of my stuff on the air here. Mm -hmm. um, the movie's really self-aware about movies. I, you know, and Efron's talks about that a lot in, in the commentary of this movie and in the stuff I read about the writing of it. The movie kind of centers on, you know, Rosie O'Donnell's character and Meg Ryan's character liking this this old Cary Grant movie. Um, and that they, they reference a lot in Affair to Remember, which ends on the Empire State Building, which happens in this movie as well. And so it, like, it's self-referential, like it's, she talks about how this is the first time where women that were in their thirties and the early nineties and late eighties had been raised on movies. And that rather than reference Jane Austen books, they were referencing movies as like kind of their text on what romance was. So that, that was interesting. And, and that's a vantage point that she brings in a lot of her movies. Um, let's move on to this category that I created for this. It's called Sam's deep and somewhat, but not maybe thought provoking questions. Uh, and my first question is hinge the new Dr. Fieldstone show. Oh, you mean like, like making a sh show about Hinge? No, yes. like is, is people is, are people meeting on Hinge that otherwise never would. I mean, I, I think that oh. like that's kind of the the modern day. It's kind of a timeless story, but now it would happen on the internet as opposed to like radio or some TV show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, obviously uh, online dating has uh, skyrocketed. Uh, you and I. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't shout know out us. I don't know if your followers know that or not. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, but you never, I think radio is a little different because you actually hear the person like, yeah, maybe on hinge you have a video and like someone's talking or like singing or whatever, but it's never like real and it's never someone just like speaking their thoughts to a talk show radio. So yes and no, I guess that is the way that they meet, but like, it's not as creepy because the other person's putting themselves out there. Mm. Whereas... In this movie, uh, Jonah just like throws his dad on the dating scene, just like pretty much uh, puts him in the middle of a four lane and just is like run over me because um, he's just not ready to date, obviously. So I don't think that it's like that, but maybe a little bit. 
Yeah, I think hearing the person's voice, and that's why Meg Ryan really gravitates to, is the way that he articulates how much he loved his wife, and she finished. They say the same words at the same time, stuff like that. That that you know we often think about when it comes to people that that get along together romantically. Um, But I think if they made this movie now, it would be like a dating app or something like that uh, would would have united them. Maybe not. Maybe it'd still be a talk show on like Sirius Radio or something. But like uh, a Netflix, like a live live netflix something i don't know yeah something that we've seen before all right a pivotal question here uh sam or walter for you sam 100 percent, 100 percent. obviously you're sam but um the other sam too i mean walter's just got a lot of baggage like not past relationship baggage not um like he's a drug addict baggage. It's like, he just has a lot of allergies and I just couldn't handle that. Like thinking about all the allergies this person has and like, mm. he's kind of boring and his jokes, nobody gets. And like Meg Ryan's character has to explain it all the time. And it's, that would get old real fast. Whereas with Sam, his jokes are like sarcastic and funny. Like the joke about, you know, Baltimore being 28 States away was kind of funny, even though it wasn't exactly 28. It was just like, people got it. Um, which is kind of like you. I mean, you're, you're funny and witty and people get your jokes and I don't ever have to explain them, which is great. Um, and also Tom Hanks's voice is just like captivating. Whereas Walter's is more like, I've got an allergy and I can't breathe. So I don't know. It's just a lot of factors, but Sam, number one for me. That's good. Your voice work was impeccable there. Um, doing, you're doing Walter that you've been doing some work there. Um, <laughs> I do want to point out the fact we were watching this, that there was a Walter scene and you said you, when you're getting ready for bed, uh, when he's <laughs> putting on his dehumidifier and I never felt more fronted in my entire life because he's obviously That's supposed to be. That is only because you have, you snore. Sorry, babe, but you snore like you snore pretty bad. And you just recently have started doing a lot of efforts to. to well, I, I mean, a lot me, of efforts, which I appreciate, yeah. which I appreciate. Yeah, but, like you do put your little nasal strip on, yeah. and like gotta take care of your... getting a dehumidifier. I mean, or a humidifier. You no, I don't know about that. that. You do snort that stuff up your nose and yeah, it with some orange juice. Like you do do. That was just like kind of making fun of you a little bit. Well, you got to be clear. I snort. I snort decongestion up my nose and chase it with <laughs> orange juice. You don't say things like that on the podcast without clarifying. Um, because you know I don't want to get back to my employer. It's nasal spray. Yeah, is this a New Year's Eve movie? Um, and I'll tell you when I Googled New Year's Eve movies, this is one of the first like 10 movies that came up when I Googled because it is almost New Year's Eve. I figured for this week's episode, we do a little seasonal. There's one quick scene during New Year's Eve, but it is like middle of the movie. Uh, and what makes a New Year's Eve movie if this isn't that's, I mean, there is a movie called New Year's Eve, but it's trash as hell. It's just like those where it has like 30 actors in it. And it's like one of those weird, you know, that they do with, it's like a holiday, like Valentine's day. It's another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not good. Not going to do that on the show. Um, but you, you you don't think this is a New Year's Eve is what I'm hearing. No, because literally the pivotal like scene is does not take place in New Year's Eve. What's the no, pivotal no, scene? No real, like, if there were two pivotal holidays, it would be Christmas and it would be Valentine's Day. Because Christmas is when she realizes that, hmm, maybe I could love somebody else other than Walter. And Valentine's Day is when she actually leaves Walter to go meet Hanks. So... That's that's true. The two the in between there is New Year's Eve, you know, and and honestly, and it's, it's a, literally just her and Walter dancing, and then Tom Hanks and his son watching the ball drop. Tom Hanks so communicates with his dead wife that that evening. You know, that's a that's a touching <laughs> moment. Uh, I think it's a, anything about the storyline. I think it's a powerful moment in the dancing that they talk about going to New York. On Valentine's Day. That's the only thing that changes. It moves the plot. Yeah. I think nothing is sadder than when you're New Year's Eve with someone that you shouldn't be with. And you have that moment of realization where Meg does. She really, Annie does. She like does that quick look over his shoulder when they're dancing. Like, what am I doing here? Like, this is dumb, but it's safe. So I'll do it. And I think that's kind of a more little character work there. That's not, that's not the look, what the look meant. Oh, what's what the look mean? The look meant like, oh, I'm such a horrible person for even thinking about going and doing something else besides being with him. That's what that look was. Okay. Okay. That's what you women a, see. Asleep with Seattle aficionado here. I, I will tell you, though, that I listened to the director's commentary, and Nora Ephron's intention was for it to be that 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 the uh, she was sad that she was with him. 
Um, and oh, and no, uh, no, no, no. I thought it, I thought it was more of like a guilt thing. Like I always felt that she was so guilty for feeling this way because Walter's so great and dancing with her and like being wonderful, and she like feels guilty for wanting to not be with him. It's not. I like, can see it. It's not like a disgust. Like oh, I hate being with this person. It's more of a I. Um, am awful on the inside. More distinction. It's not a disgust. It's more of a, like, I, this isn't, I know in my heart of hearts, this isn't who I should be with. And I, and like, I, it, it feels on New Year's Eve, it's an emotional time. You're starting a year with somebody and all that, but everyone's interpretation is appropriate. That's what movies are all about. Could you have booked a flight at eight years old? I could not have, um, even with the power of the internet. Uh, and also how much did that flight cost? Like, I don't understand how that went down. Um, and was the, the, like the little kid's girl, Jonah's girlfriend or whatever, a friend was her mom, like a flight attendant or something that had access. Like, was there some sort of her, her, her parents were travel agents. Oh, okay. 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 I never caught that. And so, and then, so when she, she, they, I think maybe worked from home or they were at the office or something and the mom was like, Hey, can you watch things around here? That's when the daughter booked the flight or like could look into the flight. Mm. It was when she had to step out and go do something, which I don't know what parent leaves their eight year old in charge of their travel agency, but you know, it's not what the you 90s. want. What, yeah. Whatever you do in the nineties is what you yeah. do in the nineties. That's what you say for ridiculous things. You just say it was, it was that decade. It was the nineties. <laughs> um, Nora Ephron, the writer and director of this movie. She was an American journalist, writer, and filmmaker. She's best known for romantic comedy films, nominated for three Academy Awards, uh, one for Silkwood in the early 80s when Harry met Sally in 89, and Sleepless in Seattle in 93. She won a BAFTA for original screenplay for When Harry Met Sally. She often wrote scripts with her sister, Delia, um, which who she helped write this movie, actually. Uh, she's like one of the best screenwriters coming out of the 70s. I mean, she's uh, she just happens to play in the chick flick playground, which interests her. Um, but she's like just one of the best. And I think there's certain people that when her name comes across the credits, if you know these people, you know, you're in good hands. She's one of them. And I think you probably like even more of her movies and probably don't even realize, you know, what else she'd done after the fact. Um, she uh, she writes men and women really well. I feel like there's not sometimes it's hard to, for, to write the opposite gender um, accurately, but she really gets like, she understands the, even the broness of Hanks and his friends in this movie and kind of that element of, and maybe that's a little improv on the actor's part, but I feel like all the characters are well-rounded. Um, and uh, this movie, as she said, came from the notion that a great deal of what we feel about love is shaped from the movies. Um, it's a movie about love in movies. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the, she addresses these, these big sweeping notions about, like this movie, is there someone out there for you? And is if, if that person's on the other side of the country, is there ever any chance you'll meet them? Will fate intervene and all that sort of stuff, the destiny um, and the, and looking at signs and stuff. Uh, Harry met Sally is can men, men and women be friends. She kind of like tackles some like big question in most of her movies, which to me raises it in, in terms of uh, uh, prestige. Um, and it's, it's entertaining. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. I love all of her movies. Um, she hired, this is something you won't care at all about. She hired this dude named Sven um, Nyquist to, as a cinematographer and who was, who shot all these movies in like the sixties in Sweden directed by Ingmar Bergman. Who's like the Spielberg of Swedish cinema basically. So he's like this huge deal that she hires to shoot this romantic comedy, which is weird. And, but I love because I think like he's a really good DP. So that sort of stuff comes across in this movie that escalates it above your average like shitty Netflix romantic like, comedy. Like what? Like what do you think changed it from versus other ones? Uh, there's one scene when they're in the attic um, after the she announces to the her parents that she's been engaged and they're trying on the wedding dress and like mm -hmm. he starts the camera looking at them in the mirror like the full length mirror and then swings the camera around like 360 through the attic and then over to them. He does a lot of like slow. He do, I mean, you, you wouldn't like point it out in your brain, but your brain like kind of it tells the story visually, which is what all this stuff is. I and mean, it's why people do what they do. But there's a lot of zooms that aren't common um, where they're like real slow zooms, real slow pushes in on characters. Like when Annie's in the the um, uh, hotel room after she visits Seattle and she's talking to Rosie O'Donnell and she's like, oh, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go talk to him tomorrow. It's like a slow zoom in on her as she has that phone conversation of one long take. Um I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's stuff that like not a lot of people would notice or care about, but if you like watch it again, you're like, that, Oh, that's kind of different and cool. And <laughs> maybe more engaged, whether you realized it or not, that's kind of what music does. That's what all that stuff does. It's not just the writing and the performances. 
Uh, but that's all film shit that you don't care about. But this is a film podcast, so we have to let the you know the listeners are hungry for that sort of stuff. I've I've got to give it to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, IMDb and quick Google trivia. Um, though there were big action movies released this year, Jurassic Park and Last Action Hero, Sleepless held its own at the box office, earning 220 million worldwide, which is really good in '93. A lot of fucking money. My, my question is: is like, was that the real trailer? Because that was a long trailer. Like, it was that's a long it, it, trailers are like two and a half minutes and and so that that was that the actual trailer. the whole stinking story i felt like. i know i know uh you hate to see it there was no like narrator either sometimes there's that 90s narrator that says like yeah. in a world where harry met sally or whatever yeah um the role of annie was originally offered to julia roberts who turned it down uh oh, kim God. kim bassinger was also offered the role turned it down she thought the premise was quote ridiculous then Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Jodie Foster all turned the role down before Meg Ryan landed it. So imagine this film with any of those women. It, it, was it the right choice? Could you imagine a situation where Michelle Pfeiffer is Annie or what? You know, talk about those various choices. I mean, okay, I'm probably the wrong person to ask about this, but I'm a big fan of Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks movies. Like, you've got mail all the way up there on those charts. Like mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with them as like a combo. I have no idea why it just, they clicked to me. A lot of people are, I mean, that's yeah. a, it's a Hanks and Ryan. I mean, it's like a, mm -hmm. at the top of the movie poster, you see those names and people would go see the movie without even knowing anything about it. Yeah. Next, next, uh, a screenplay you write, you need to write it like based on Tom Hanks. Make it Ryan. Okay. But, um, Got it. I just think that they, they look like they go together. Cause you know, people look like, I mean, Sometimes when people go together, they look kind of similar or have similar like mannerisms or I don't know. I just think that they're, I don't think Michelle Pfeiffer would be good. Even though she's a blonde, you know, like. She's a little thin. too sexy. She's a little too seductive. Yeah. yeah she's yeah. like more like basic instinct or like fatal attraction and not like yeah. your girl next door -y sort of waspy. Yeah, which is yeah. what Meg Ryan was supposed to be, which is, it, she was, she was, she did a really good job at playing that character and she did it like even though it was creepy everything she did it wasn't scary creepy which i mm -hmm. feel like some of those other characters would have like jodie foster would have been scary creepy to me doing all that like mm -mm. so and then i just don't think julia would have really run i don't think it would have been as successful because i just i don't see julia roberts and tom hanks doing things well together if that makes sense but, no i i agree yeah they, they don't seem to have the same chemistry just if i think about it that way so I think the, the right situation ended up, which is often the case with these sort of timeless movies, that they kind of got lucky with the casting. You know, everyone turned it down. And they ended up on the right person. Right. For his performance in this film, Tom Hanks is nominated for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Comedy at the Golden Globes. But at that same ceremony, he won the award for Best Actor Drama for Philadelphia, a movie that came out that year as well, which we have watched. We have watched that. Um, Tom, Hanks had a crazy 90s. I mean, he did like this. He did Philadelphia. He did Forrest Gump. Apollo 13. I mean, he's just a wild, wild decade for Toy Hanks. Story. He was recording the dialogue for Toy Story while shooting this movie. He would, on days off, he would go to the this Pixar studio and record the dialogue for Woody for Toy Story that would come out two years later. Um, the original movie screenplay actually read some of it started in Chicago. Both the characters were there. Annie gets dumped at the beginning of the movie um, and is kind of in a rough relationship. It's like kind of abusive. And Sam's wife dies, as we know. And then they both split to Sam goes west to Seattle and he goes east to Baltimore. And then we pick up with the movie that we know. But the Nora Ephron, the writer and her sister thought that just equivalating the death of a spouse and like a hard, a hard breakup was too like basically it didn't equate. And you felt more sympathetic to Sam and not to Annie. So it just didn't work that way. So they just cut out all that Chicago stuff for Annie and then started it with Sam. And then picked up with Annie in Baltimore. Was she supposed to still be in the with Walter? With Walter, yeah, yeah. That'd be a lot, like jumping from him to him. That'd be a lot, and then people probably wouldn't like her because she was like, yeah, broken up with and just getting with another guy just because she was heartbroken instead of like actually being with the guy. Versus like her and Walter being together, she was just actually being with the guy. You know, like mm -hmm. genuinely liked him for him, despite that dumb like sandwich story. That was really dumb way to meet, but. Yeah, we met on Hinge, you know what I mean? So, uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we met in at a New Year's Eve party. 
Um, you know, we, we didn't meet on Hinge. We connected on Hinge. That's the way I put it. Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks only share approximately how many minutes of screen time together, would you guess? Six. Two. 120 yeah. seconds. How about that? Wow. Yeah. Even when okay. they were like seeing each other on from the street, did they count that and seeing each other in no. the when they're, I think when they see each other in the airport for that like 12 seconds, then when they see each other in the road, when she almost gets hit by the taxi, and then when the Empire State Building final scene uh, 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 adds up to two minutes. Yeah. Well, not the when she's like watching him on the beach, like when she's like way off and he's like, or when she sees him going out. Uh, that's not like they're not in a scene together. They're not like interacting. If that makes sense. Um, okay. They're in the same geographical place. But they're not. So did they even together. meet each other, and and they just like did one scene, and then they weren't even together at the rest of the time. No, nah, they were they were around. Uh, a lot of the scenes like were shot on sets in Seattle, and so like they were together during the shoot, and even like the the Baltimore apartment was in a set in Seattle, so they were all together. Yeah, um, just those outside scenes in Baltimore. They obviously went there to get those locations to see. She realized it was it was Baltimore. Efron told Meg Ryan uh, that her character was, quote, a Republican who had never had an orgasm. That was how uh, Meg Ryan was supposed to play Annie. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and so she, Nora Efron said in the, in the commentary that she thought uh, Meg Ryan nailed it. But that's she the did. sort of, that's a Nora Efron's like, sense of humor. And it comes across in her dialogue. And that's just fantastic. I love that. I mean, that's um, like pretty much every Republican that I know that's never had an orgasm. That's what like. <laughs> Yeah, cry yeah. at radio, you know, just random. Just radio real excited. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hiding broom closets with radios. Normal behavior for Republicans with no orgasms. Yeah. Uh, went to great lengths to make the costumes be timeless. They didn't want to feel like a 90s movie. Uh, hairstyles, too. So she talks in the commentary all the time about the costumes, what Annie's wearing, and why she specifically avoided certain like fashionable things in the nineties at that particular time and just made her wear like the red silk blouse at Christmas or like just stuff that, you know, you wouldn't point at. And I have to say, like, it doesn't feel very nineties. Like I know it came out in the nineties and there's obviously phones instead of cell phones, but it doesn't feel like, like Seinfeld, for example, which feels very nineties. Um, you know, everyone looks like a little bit timeless. Well, yeah. What I think of when I think of her character is she's classic. Like she, Dresses really well. I mean, not that she could obviously the '90s are back in style right now, but she could pull that off today. Like she could be just a fashionista that's just walking down the street with whatever she's wearing and her hairstyle. She does a classic braid like I am sporting today, mm -hmm. and she looks just just like a classic lady. Not as classy as you look, of course, with your classic yeah. braid. Um, yeah, with my t-shirt on. No, you're 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 pretty. Uh, in Let's see the ring, which belonged to Walter's mother uh, that had been sized down for Annie. Cause she had fat fingers. Um, it, there's a similar one available. It's called a flower ring on Tiffany.com. It, it uh, retails for $4,900 on Tiffany.com. So all you women that see that and think like, see, that looks great. Uh, and you know, and hint at their significant others and you significant others that are listening can find this on Tiffany.com. Shout out Tiffany. You're not a sponsor, but you know, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll look into that. You could be for me. I, yeah. I literally said that when that ring was shown, shown on the screen, I said, I really do like that ring though. I think it's really pretty. I said that to Sam, didn't I? You did. You did say it to me. Um, every time you see Maggie, his, his deceased wife, Sam's deceased wife, she's wearing the same thing. They wanted her to, always appear wearing the same thing. Like, cause that's how you think of somebody. Sometimes you just always have like this one image of them that you keep in your brain. So they were particular about what she was wearing. Cause they were worried about what do you make the dead wife wear? You know, that's like, what, what should she be wearing? Should she be wearing like an angelic costume or what? So they just went with a, a, a white gown. Um, the empire state building sequence uh, is shot partially on the actual roof. Very expensive to get that for shooting. And then partially on a soundstage in Seattle. In fact, the ending at night when they meet is on a soundstage. That's a fake rooftop built inside a building with fake lights around them and, an, and, a, and a fan blowing their hair to make it feel like they're on top of a building because it was so difficult to get the rooftop for, in real life for a shoot. But obviously the Jonah stuff when he's running around, they do the helicopter shot where it's clear that he's up there like poaching all the women right. and being like, hey, are you, you my mom? Have, to have sound as much. 
it is really loud up there because it's just so freaking windy. Like you, some when I was up there, it felt like I was getting blown over by the wind. Like it's just so windy and you can hardly hear anything. So that makes sense. Yeah, I, uh, I think that makes sense just to get that that dialogue in, that touching final sequence between our characters. Um, let's go to the categories. Let's go to the uh, who gets the most buckets in this movie, which is our basketball slash movie category for the best acted performance in this film. Who do you like for most buckets in Sleepless in Seattle, Abby? Number one, my main man, Mr. Hanks. He, even though I really enjoy Meg Ryan's performance like I do really like her tear her single tear that when she's listening to the to the radio station or how she screams when she's found in the closet by Walter I don't like this is why I didn't give it to her I don't like how excited she acts around Walter like I know she's somewhat supposed to be faking it at points but sometimes she wasn't like when she didn't when she realized before she realized she didn't really like love him, love him. She still kind of acted kind of fake around. Oh, Walter. So I just really didn't get behind that as much. Um, because no one talks to their significant other that they love like, Oh, <sighs> unless they're like drunk or something. So I couldn't really get behind that part. So my, uh, my number one guy would be, uh, Tom Hanks just because like he plays the heartbroken so well. And then he plays the um, annoyed dad really well. And he has all of these, like, different elements of his character that he, like, does so well. And it's just, it makes the character that much better. Because he isn't just a one-sided, like, I'm a heartbroken widow. Like, I also have this really caring and sweet side of being this great dad. But also I'm a good friend because I hang out with the at this restaurant or Pike Pike Place Market with my coworker, and we talk about butts. Like it's just like he has all those um, little quirks about him that he that Tom Hanks just pulls off really well. Yeah, I mean you can't go wrong with with Tom Hanks, and and uh, yeah, it's a really hard performance to pull off because you know he can't be he has to be like still like a dominating enough male figure to be attractive he can't be like apparently in earlier drafts he was like kind of a wuss is what is what their term was that he wasn't like he was just basically whimpering about his dead wife the whole movie and at some point he needs to be like you know someone that like you can get behind and root for in this other relationship as well so that's really tough to walk um and uh, yeah he does it. he's 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 funny too there's a lot of improv and um yeah, he's great. He's great in everything. He really is. Uh, and I'll, I'll go Meg Ryan. I think, I mean, on the other side, she's, I think it's really hard to act when you're like listening to a fake radio and the camera's right in your face and you're driving a fake car and you have to act like you're like reacting to this stuff. And it, it's, I think it's really hard to act like you're listening to a radio and responding to it when there's no dialogue. She has no dialogue in that entire scene, but you could see kind of her emotions playing across, you know, on her face, which is, which is just good acting. Um, and I think like her sort of overacting in terms of being super excited is her almost trying to convince herself that she's in love with Walter, her trying to like hype herself up and be like, like when she holds the the card that she gets from and like to her heart and says, Oh, Walter, um, or like stuff like that. Cause she really wants to be romance. You know, she really believes in this kind of 1950s Hollywood, Cary Grant circa romance. That's, that's real, like just real dramatic basically. So she wants to be swept off her feet like that. Uh, and so I, I get that. She's also really f uh, a really great physical comedian. Like she's, she's really like when she moves around and points and like when she enters a room, she sort of has this energy about her when she goes to see her brother and sits down on the piano after he says like, basically love is not real. It's our subconsciouses. Then she sits on like all the keys of the piano and that sort of stuff checks out when she's in the uh, kitchen, like answering the phone and trying to hide in the closet and whirling around and like just a lot of good physical comedy there. And that's not stuff you see a whole lot. Um, there's like a level of awkwardness, but she's also graceful and and beautiful, but she's like awkward. So it's that, you know, walking that line is kind of difficult. And, and it, I think it's why her and Hanks get along so well, because he does the same thing. He's like funny and charming, but also like a little goofy and yeah, believable he spins the wheel of like people's phone numbers. What are those called? Oh, you yeah, like the Rolodex? Yeah. And then he does the stretch thing before he makes the phone call. And it's yeah, like and every guy ever before he sends that first text. Yeah. Um, 
that's uh that's good hank stuff but i i yeah. he's great i mean they're both great and that's what makes it work is that they're both really good at those their characters i thought um, it's funny that we picked the opposite the uh opposite leading leading character but that's funny it's good podcasting is what that is it's good mm -hmm. content yeah mm -hmm. it's important um six man slash woman award makes the most of their role with limited screen time i'll go first on this one i think you could rename this award the rosie o'donnell award um, as Becky, uh, she, the salty edge, the best friend gives a movie, the, the sarcastic sneering sort of yin to Annie's yang. Um, they, uh, they didn't know who Rosie O'Donnell was when she auditioned and she, the league of her own wasn't out yet. Like Rosie O'Donnell wasn't even really on the scene and she did a reading for the part and Nora Ephron said she was quote electrifying on the first day, uh, she had the, the part already. Um, and so that was locked up the second that Rosie O'Donnell read for the part. So much so that Efron actually went and printed out pages of the script that no one had yet seen to let Rosie read as the character to see if the jokes worked. Uh, Cause she said, if Rosie could make them work, then she was going to leave them in. And so just, I mean, just a force of nature really in this movie. And every like time she roasts Rick, I'm like pouring out for my guy, Rick, like he doesn't even get any screen time to defend himself. And she's just out here defiling his good name. And I just want to know, you know, justice for Rick is really is what is you shout out Rosie O'Donnell, but also justice for Rick. Um, Rosie's great in this movie. So you, you agree though. You think she yeah. is just, I mean, I she's electric. She's on screen. Yeah. I was going to pick, I mean, cause she like backs up, she backs up everything Meg Ryan's feeling, which is what a best friend's supposed to do. Right. Like they're just supposed to, hell yeah. They're supposed to be like, just like that movie, you have to do it. She sends the letter for Meg Ryan because Meg Ryan throws it away. Like, all of those things, like she made the movie happen. She made them get together without actually making them get together. Like she supported it. She had um, Annie write the piece about it so that she could go into a deep dive further. Um, yeah, I was going to give it to her, but if I had to choose somebody else, I guess I would go with the, uh, I don't even know the guy's name, the character that like looks at his butt and says, Jay, Rob, yeah. played by Rob Reiner. Yeah. The Basically the equivalent, he, Tom Hanks is right. equivalent. Yeah. Because he he makes those jokes that like really matter. He like sets Tom Hanks up for being on the back on the dating scene because he was just like not ready for it until like he was coming to him for some advice. Who else would have Tom had Tom Hanks gone for? I guess his friend back in Chicago, but he's married to uh, Tom Hanks' wife, and like so it's like kind of crazy. Um, I don't think he Rita really Wilson asked him. Rita yeah. Wilson. Um, and she is actually his sister in this movie. That's that character supposed to be his, oh, really? his sister in law. So the dude is his brother. And she is his sister-in-law. Is technically the relation. That yeah. didn't, I didn't pick that up at all. Yeah, it wasn't important really, but it was, that's apparently the case. Um. So, I mean, I really enjoyed him. Like the tiramisu joke, the are we grading on the curve joke. Like those jokes just like hit home, gives you a little comedic relief for like the seriousness it is going getting back on the dating scene. Because you and I both have been there. You know, we're we're in our thirties, and before we met each other, we had dated several different people. And so when you get back out there, it's scary and like you need your friends there, but also you need some laughs like about it. So he was really good about um, pushing Tom Hanks towards the edge, even though he was like maybe in two scenes. What he really kind of made it. I would give it the second, the second runner up to uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's great. Rob Reiner's great. Direct, famous director. Did directed Stand by Me. Directed Spinal Tap. Directed When Harry Met Sally. So that's how. Um, Jess, Jess's dad in New Girl. So shout out to him too. Jess's dad. He's he's DiCaprio's dad in Wolf of Wall Street. He's oh, yeah. uh you know all over the place and just a hilarious guy. I mean, just really has timing and the whole, the whole banter between him and Sam is great. And the whole when they're in the rich lady's house and she wants to like Move put in extra cabinets, which would totally change the entire architecture of it. And he's basically like, Hey, you could date this woman and that way you wouldn't have to move the cabinets. And that, that sort of stuff is, is really funny and, and really kind of captures what, if you're talking to your single buddy and, but you like, it's, it's kind of really captures that whole diatribe. Um, I so play single greatest scene. I got some nominations of different scenes I think are great. And you can write one in if you like, if I don't name one that you like. Uh, so I start with the opening funeral scene um, where it, Hanks' monologue, if we start asking why, we'll go crazy. Because um, it really, that, that scene opening is always really great to me. It's really emotional opening and it immediately tells you where this character is. It like with just the visual of the funeral and then you pan up and see Chicago skylines, so you know where you are. You get like the character's attitude about it, kind of his like really pragmatic 
if we, you know, try to figure out why this happened to us, it's not worth it. It's not worth spending your time. Like mommy got sick. That's what happened. We got to move on, but he doesn't necessarily follow his own advice, but that's him like reassuring his son about it. And I think it's a really great scene. I mean, it's like 15 seconds and you know, everything you need to know about this character, um, which is just great writing. Um, and it's really emotional. It's like, that's like, like the great fear, right? Is that you have to either bury your kids, you know, or you have to bury your wife like well before or spouse well before, you know, it's time, like well before like you're, you're elderly. So that's, you know, everyone should feel that. I think, uh, Jonah's secret phone call to Dr. Fieldstone intercut with Andy driving to DC and reacting. Uh, so kind of when they meet, so to speak. Um, the meet cute is what it's called in every random comedy where the two leads meet. And this one's different because it's, they're not in person. Um, New Year's Eve, Annie and Walter dancing at the party. Sam puts Jonah to bed, chilling on the couch, kind of drunk on champagne convo with his wife, subtly trying to remember her tendencies really smartly done. She asks, what did I used to say? And then he, then she says some things which weren't right. And then he like confirms what was right. It's like him sort of like putting the image of her back together and not letting those memories fade away. Um, the cute butt scene between Sam and Jay, they're at uh, Athenian Seafood Restaurant and Bar by the Pike Place Market, which I believe you've been to, but that's a classic Seattle locale. It's important to get the city in there when you're shooting on location. Um, Susie and Greg come to Seattle to visit. She cries about an affair to remember. They cry about Dirty Dozen. Um, just a, a, a kind of funny scene in the middle that doesn't really serve the plot, but it's just like, you like these people. And it's really great Rita Wilson, like a minute of her, kind of like remembering this movie and crying and speaking about it in broken segments. And it's really funny, I think. And then Hanks and uh, that uh, other actor, I need to pull up his name. Uh, I think his name is David something. They ad lib that whole dirty dozen thing where they fake like they're <laughs> emotional, um, which is, which is funny. And then the empire state building final meet. think they won't see each other. All hope is lost. And he comes up as they go down and then bang reversal. You know, as I was talking about reversals, she picks up Jonah's backpack then just as you realize that's Jonah's backpack, you hear the elevator ding and you're like, oh shit, here we go. And that's just it's good fucking writing, as you hear me say a lot, babe. Um, what, uh, any other scenes I missed, scenes that you want to shout out that are great? Yeah, uh, shout out to when Jonah calls the second time and he's out there on the deck with that woman mm. and he quotes, she's a hoe, my dad's, you know, been captured by a hoe or something. That gets me every time. But also sequentially, like, the screen, his scream when Annie gets caught in the closet, her scream, those two screams, like I'm just really into that whole scene. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, there, there's a lot in the commentary, there's a lot of discussion about the editing and the way they wanted to merge these two people together, like their lives. For example, every time, the uh, apparently when Annie exits her brother's office, they actually move that door from wherever that was to the to Seattle where they show Hanks and Jay coming out of the door and then they're walking and talking and going to the eat and having that tiramisu conversation, but they wanted Hanks to exit that same door. So it always felt like they were connected in the same way. So, and similarly after she screams in the closet and Walter's down there, uh, they start going upstairs and talking and then it cuts back to Sam and Jonah and they're going upstairs. So there's lots of editing tricks to make you like feel like they're connected stuff like that. That's like, that you don't think about, you wouldn't notice, but it, your brain does when you're watching it. And, uh, and it's really cool um, filmmaking stuff. So shout out Nora Ephron. Um, trying to find this guy's name. Oh, Victor Garber plays Greg, uh, who's the brother of Sam. Uh, and then who else do we want? David Hyde Pierce is Dennis Reed, the brother of Meg Ryan's character. Was Bill he Pullman. He was in Frasier, yeah. It's like what a lot of people recognize him from after the fact, but he wasn't famous at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some uh, some really good, some really good casting. Real small cast, which I think is cool. Um, most quotable quote. Uh, I've got some entries here, and you can feel free to add whatever you want. I got Sam Baldwin. Mommy got sick, and it happened just like that. There's nothing anybody can do. It isn't fair. There's no reason. But if we start asking why, we'll go crazy. Uh, Jonah Baldwin talked to her dad. She's a doctor. Baldwin says of what her first name could be doctor. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie Reed destiny is something we invented because we can't stand the fact that everything that happens is accidental, which is kind of like one of the themes of the movie. And her arc is like going from that person to believing in that sort of thing. Okay. Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, what are you going to do? And this is about, you know, kind of how he's going to get over his wife. And Sam says, I'm going to get out of bed every morning, breathe in and out all day long. After a while, I won't have to remind myself to get out of bed every morning and breathe in and out. And after a while, 
I won't have to think about how great and perfect I had it for a little while. And that's just, that was really powerful. You know, that sort of stuff he says on the phone is, is kind of basically him saying the short version is like time, time will, you know, let me get over this. But just the way that he says it is really articulate and poetic and really cool. Um, Jonah, uh, a hoe, a hoe. My dad's been captured by a hoe, which I love. Hoe. Yeah. That's an underused yeah. word these days. Um, yeah. I didn't know that it was like big. I mean, I guess in the early 90s, we're talking about the beginning of like NWA and some gangster rap. Um, you know, like, so I, I guess like that was in the, the parlance of our times, but. And they're you know. trying to show how like these eight year olds are like hip to the now, which I don't think I knew anything at eight. Let me think that was 1998. I don't also, know you just said hip to the now. So you definitely did not know anything when you were eight. Ben, I, just, <laughs> I just can. Yeah, you, you, you do. Um, I just try to be funny. And no, 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 that, that was funny. I just love the, the hip to the now. It's like anything but hip. I feel you. Um, Keith, you know, it's easier to be killed by a terrorist than it is to get married over the age of 40. Um, that statistic is definitely not true. Theme. Yeah, it is. Theme it comes back. It comes back and it's, it's every time someone discredits it and then someone says like, what well, it sounds true. And it's just like that sort of stuff is, mm-hmm. is really funny writing. Walter, look, Annie, I love you, but let's leave that out of this. I don't want to be someone that you're settling for. I don't want to be someone that anyone settles for. Marriage is hard enough without bringing such low expectations into it, isn't it? Now, is there anyone in the world that would take this so easily as Walter does in this scene? Like, Walter it, is it, like boring. But a truly so graceful, nice. yeah, a truly graceful so individual. Nice, yeah. Like he, he, he that, that's like such a good response. That's so accurate and like so true. But also but like, shows that he didn't love her as much either. Like he was maybe so. Just, like, cause if you, you know, if you're really in love with someone and someone says that to you, you're going to be upset. You're going to cry. You're going to not speak to them. You're going to walk, whatever way you like cope, you're going to do that. So he probably was just going through the motions like, Hey, I need to be married. Like, Hey, here's my mother's ring. Cause I know I need to give it to you. Like he was, he, Hey, we need to go to Valentine's day in, in New York. Like he was just going through the motions at that point. Like she, he found somebody that could put up with his allergies and his snoring and all that and was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do next. So I think that that kind of showed that he wasn't completely fully in to her either, which is good for both of them because they need to find someone that they were. Deep cuts here on in the can from Miss Chief, really solving the problems here. Walter, Walter wasn't as into her either. That's, that's important. I feel like. Chiefess is what I'd like to be called, actually, but we can keep going. Chiefess, got it. Uh, we'll we'll trademark that and run it by HR. Um, so uh, the question um, that Hanks asked Jonah: What if something had happened to you when he when he comes to him on the Empire State's building? What if I couldn't get to you? Uh, he holds falls to his knees. What would I have done? You are my family. You're all I've got. Um, which I think is a really great father son scene written by you know basically two women, um, which is really cool. Like, I mean, and that's, and it could be mother daughter as well. Um, maybe foreshadows or, or is after some home alone, really that that kind of happens between Kevin McAllister and his mom sort of at the end of these movies. Uh, but it's really cool. And, and you really like the, you buy that relationship with Hanks and Jonah and that's a really emotional scene. And Hanks is, is pulls it off like he does. And then at the dinner party where they announce their uh, Walter and Annie announced their engagement and Walter makes that Lou Gehrig reference joke. And then Annie has to explain it. And there's like the old uncle explaining to the old aunt. He's like, baseball, baseball. It's a historical reference. And that always makes me laugh. Um, Cause that's just, you know, making a pop culture joke and no one getting it uh, is, is tough. And I've been there before, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so I, I feel for, gets your pop joke, pop culture jokes, I try, but you know, sometimes when you reach into your bag like that, like just not everyone's going to be ready for it. I mean, you're just out there. And Walter obviously didn't. He did not. You got a KYA. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. Know your audience. Um, This is a question I like to ask everybody. It's called the switcheroo. If you could replace any character with Nick Cage, who would you replace and why? (laughs) Um, So put put Nick Cage in this movie for me right now. Walter. Okay. I feel like he could do that. I mean, you got to think about early 90s Nick Cage too, who's like, what an Oscar in 95. I mean, he was in Leaving Las Vegas. He's like kind of a prestigious actor at this time before he like ascended into the Nick Cage that we know. Um, he's like, he can act. And I mean, he was like at that point doing some Coen Brothers stuff. He's like kind of a heartthrob early nineties, Nick Cage. Yes. Um, 
it's just, I mean, it was the way, hey, the nines were crazy, man. You know what I mean? But like, um, does everyone laugh at that? Cause I feel like that's just like funny, funny like image to put in. That's why I made it a category. Yeah. I mean, people are used to it now. Uh, so we might have to change the, change the celebrity. But uh, yeah, usually, usually you can get a couple of guffaws with that. You need to get, we need to do one was like, if you could replace any of the songs in the movie with a Nickelback song, what would, what song would it be? And where would you put That's it? That's a good one. Yeah. Mine would be photograph um, as a, as <laughs> a, a picture of like of them finding like her looking at a picture of Tom Hanks from the investigator. Yeah. <laughs> really on the nose shit, but it works um, because if you throw Nickelback in a scene, it's automatically like 10 times more emotional. <laughs> um, I don't know who I'd replace Nick. I think it'd be funny if he was the, uh, oh man, I, I don't know. I didn't think, I didn't think about this before I asked the question. Um, he was the brother. That'd be good. That's not, that's not as like a, I think mean, he'd be good if he were Jay. I just love Rob Reiner in this movie, but if he's like the friend, that's like kind of crazy. And I think maybe you write him, you write him to be like the like crazy sexual deviant. Like basically he's like telling, he's like, yeah, I mean, butt stuff. It's wild out there, man. And he's like talking about all this stuff. And Tom Hanks is like kind of the wholesome guy. And he it's like, about butt stuff in the nineties, babe. Well, the equivalent, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to work my magic here. Um, bring me in for rewrites. I'm available. Anyone want to bring me on for uh, for Sleepless in Seattle too? Um, back to the West Coast is what I would call it. Uh, but wouldn't Meg Ryan be in it? Because she would for sure be in it because the paycheck, baby. Been anything exactly? She needs to get that coin. A while. Like, She's trying to get that back. Yeah, I saw her recently at the. Well, not recently, but I watched a 25th anniversary and for, from two years ago, like Good Morning America interview with her. Um, she looks 25 years older for sure, uh, as we all would. And I, I could see them doing like a reboot though, where it's her and Hank's kid and, and Hank's and he becomes a widower or something, or she does, she becomes a widow. It's probably their daughter. And then she, like basically the same movie, but, but Hank's and Meg Ryan show up for one scene as the parents and they're like, Oh, this happened to us. And then, you know, I could see them doing that for this. Yeah. I don't say they should. Don't ruin a classic. Don't ruin a classic. Just believe me, I I'm team. Let's let's make original shit instead of like re rehash everything. But I'm just telling you that the Hollywood system, you be ready for Back to the West Coast. Sleep us in Seattle too. Rewatchability. Which one is this? A buy on Blu-ray or DVD? A rent on iTunes? I happen to catch on HBO Stars or a doubtful? I will see this shit again. The answer for you is obviously you bought it on DVD as a young. 20 year old i bought it on digital streaming it's on it was on sale and it's it's a really good movie and i wanted to listen to commentary uh which was great so it's just a really good movie and i highly recommend to everyone that is our generation millennials go check this one out oh, we need, really good millennials need to see this this needs to be on their list if they have not seen this because it's a way to show like how ridiculous love has gotten but also to show that it was always kind of ridiculous, like this person going across the country because of a radio station and then us being on Tinder. Like those two things are both ridiculous, but you know, it's what people do for love. It's true. It's timeless. That's what we did for love. You did excellent on your first podcast. I hope to have you back on again. I love you and uh, I'll see you in three seconds when I okay. hang up. Okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, thank you for coming on, Ivy. Listen to In the Can, part of the Barmerner Podcast Network. Check out the website. Subscribe. Give us a good review if you like the show. Send us some tweets with movies you might want to see us do. But do check out the show if you can. And we will see you next week with another movie on In the Can. Uh, and this has been another show on the Barmerner Podcast Network. You got to get that branding out there. Um, so how's my butt? My butt look pretty good? Are we grading on a curve? Good. Bye, everyone.